Ladies and gentlemen of the congregation, welcome to another episode of the Motorsport Ministry, your home for all hot takes, news, and other things revolving around the racing world. This is episode number 87, as we inch closer and closer to that elusive episode 100 mark. So keep an eye out for the next couple weeks, and we'll have something pretty big for that monumental milestone episode. But today's episode is going to be nothing short of jam-packed. We're going to be talking about NASCAR's playoffs and how the next gen could be compromising the playoffs. We'll be talking about the 2023 IndyCar schedule that was just dropped a little over an hour ago. We'll end off the episode with our race weekend ranking sponsored by John and B's Barbershop and our verse of the week. So with all that being said, let's jump straight into it. And before we begin, I just want to say this. If something is new in our lives, whether that's a new relationship or a new job, a new car, whatever, typically about one month or so is really when we figure out if this new thing or this new relationship tends to work. I feel like that's reasonable timing. Now, some might say, oh, only a month. That's not even a quarter of the year, barely a sixth of the year. But I feel a month is perfect timing because you can get a general idea on how the environment is going to be. And on top of that, it's early enough to where if it's a bad environment, you can get out of it without any repercussions. So with all of that being said, it's not too early, but it's not too late either in my opinion. It allows for time to adjust before you could say it's quote-unquote too late. I mean, think about it. If you're in a relationship for well over four to five months at that point, you're pretty deep into that relationship, and then try to get out of it is going to be fairly difficult if we're being honest. So, <clears throat> with all that being said, NASCAR's next-gen car has had seven months of on-track product and on-track data to work through, to figure it out what this car is and what it can do. And I know I said we need to give it at least until next year. I've talked about that before the season started. I've talked about it throughout the entire season. We can't really get an idea of the next-gen car, even though I just said we really need only a month. But with the case of this car, we need to give it more ample time because it's still brand new to these teams. So, what is the verdict, however, after seven months? Because I think we can at least start getting an idea on what this next-gen car can bring. What is the verdict on the next-gen car? To me, the verdict is fairly simple. It has a lot of potential. And this car has the potential to be easily the greatest car, just race car, the NASCAR has ever conspired. Better than the COT. Easily better than the Gen 6. And that's the potential, if they can figure out the short track problem, to exceed even the Gen 4 car. That's how much potential this car has. However, there's a lot more issues that than potential that this car needs to find a way to work its way around them. It's bad when the first telling points, and mostly the only telling points so far throughout the four races of the 2022 NASCAR playoffs, is when you've had Car failure after part failure after tire failure. And all of these failures with the parts, with the car, the engines, the tires, everything, it has turned this into arguably the most fraudulent playoff in NASCAR history. But not from a driver's perspective. I'm not talking about Austin Dillon making the playoffs when Mark Truex Jr. should have made it. I'm not talking about fraudulent from that perspective. I'm talking about fraudulent from the perspective of these contenders, 
I mean, let's go back to the 20, let's go back to the round of 16. Let's go back at the four drivers that got eliminated. Kevin Harvick, Kyle Busch, Tyler Reddick, and Austin Dillon. Austin Dillon was a surefire elimination, let's be honest. But, what are the reasons why Reddick, Kyle Busch, and Kevin Harvick got eliminated? You can all pimp all those to either one failure or multiple failures. Kyle Busch, two engine failures in three races. Tyler Reddick, two issues in three races, back-to-back issues. And Kevin Harvick had his car catch on fire during the first race of the season. And then he got caught up in an incident at Kansas. So three out of the four drivers that got eliminated in the first round of the playoffs were due to issues that were outside of their control. That's why I'm talking about how this playoff is fraudulent. Because you're having drivers run into issues and getting their seasons altered through no fault of their own. Basically, it's a draw. Basically, it's a Russian roulette in terms of who's going to survive and who is. This playoff is turning into a playoff of attrition rather than a playoff of who is truly the best throughout the next ten races of the season. A playoff run that was advertised as the closest and most wide open championship, arguably in modern NASCAR history, will now go down as the most chaotic playoff in NASCAR history, but not in the good way for all the wrong reasons. It seems that when this next-gen car has one issue, and they fix that issue. Let's go back to February. What were the issues at the beginning of the season? It was the wheels. Anytime you had a flat tire, you couldn't move the wheels. It was the steering issues. It was so many different issues. Once those issues got fixed, another, another arose. Let's look at the season in third so far. The first third of the season, it was the tire issues in the sense of the wheels and the tires you couldn't get off once you had a flat tire. Then the second third of the season, the middle portion of the season, there weren't really that many part issues throughout that middle portion of the season. We were able to focus on the great racing on track and the diversity of winners. And then the third, the final part of the season, which we are in currently, fires, part failures, tire blowouts. That has been the name of the game throughout these entire playoffs. And again, this is what is attributing to what is, in my opinion, the most fraudulent playoff in NASCAR history. Let's take a look at the playoffs, however. Let's actually do that. We're going to take a look at the playoffs individually throughout these first four races. What are these issues that are turning the playoffs into arguably the most fraudulent playoffs in NASCAR history? So what I'm going to do here is I'm going to go through each round of the play each race of the playoffs. So from Darlington all the way to Texas. And I'm going to explain the failures from parts, from tires, from everything that have impacted playoff drivers. I'm going to try to keep it only to the playoff drivers so you won't hear guys like Truex or guys like Kyle Busch after he got eliminated with their issues. Start off with Darlington, and then we'll obviously keep moving forward from there. So, starting off with Darlington, Kyle Busch had his engine failure. Kevin Harvick caught fire. Chase Elliott, while he did spin out on his own, there were some rumors that there was due to a tire failure. You had multiple drivers have playoff issues, have issues in the playoffs with their with failures of parts. In the case of Kyle Busch with his engine, or in the case of Kevin Harvick having a fire in the car. Let's move on to Kansas again. Kevin Harvick he got caught up in a crash. While that isn't due to a parts failure, it is still an issue. Then we could talk about drivers such. Now let's move on to Kansas. Tyler Reddick, leading the race very comfortably, gets a flat tire and then ends up hitting the wall and DNFing from the race, finishing second to last. 
one of the reasons why he went from plus 20 above the cut line and very easily could move on to the round of 12 to then gets eliminated. One of the contributing factors to him getting eliminated in the round of 16. And then we move on to Bristol, which has really been, I guess you could say, part one of the whole next-gen debacle that has stretched from Bristol all the way until Texas. We'll see if it continues in the Talladega. But the issues are galore. Christopher Bell with a flat tire leading the race. Kyle Busch with a second engine failure. Kevin Harvick, while yes, you could say that there he got issues on pit road, you could say that was an issue due to the wheel as well, as I believe that's what the team said as well. But Denny Hamlin had tire failures. All of Penske had power steering issues. Alex Bowman had power steering issues. Multiple playoff drivers had multiple issues throughout the entire field. And I get, it seems like, it's being very specific to manufacturers. Bristol, it seemed like it was very specific to the Fords, and particularly the Penske camp. Texas, with all the tire failures, it seems like it was more specific to the Toyota camp. With drivers like with drivers like Denny Hamlin having issues, albeit also getting spun up by William Byron, doesn't help, which we'll probably talk about that later on in the week. But, again, multiple issues with this car. I mean, people are comparing the Texas race to the 2008 Brickyard 400. In some cases, people are saying that the Texas race was worse than the Brickyard 400 as well. So, I also want to give NASCAR, however, a little bit of credit, or a little bit of the benefit of the doubt. It's still year one with a brand spanking new car. We have to have expected that there were going to be issues going through the year. Now, we can't let these issues persist, and it seems like the teams know how to fix the issues. The problem is NASCAR's rules and regulations, they don't allow for the teams to make the adjustments that they need to make, so the teams are pretty much in between a rock and a hard place. So what NASCAR is pretty much telling the teams, you know, you can look on Rodney Childers' Twitter, and he explains how they could fix it, but NASCAR, in a sense, doesn't allow them to, so how do we fix it? Because what NASCAR is basically doing is telling the teams you can either go slower or you can push the envelope and then play Russian roulette and hope that you don't get shot. And I know there's other factors when it comes to this. Talk about Goodyear. Talk about the teams. And trust me, I will talk about Goodyear later on in the week, but I want to stay focused on these playoffs and how it's affect these issues are affecting the playoffs. Let's say this. How many of you had Tyler Reddick in your championship for? I know like Eric Eastep had him as his championship pick. And do you really want your drivers to miss out on competing for a championship? Do you want your drivers not to make it as far as they deserve it to be because of parts failures? Now again, it's a new car. We need to expect this kind of stuff to happen. And I know NASCAR. We can't make it seem like NASCAR doesn't know the issue and they're basically just telling the teams, oh, just hope and pray you don't get it. Because they have shown that they are willing to make adjustments. Look, we don't hear about that tire issue with the wheels in terms of the car getting stuck on getting stuck because they can't spin the wheels after a flat tire. That issue is basically gone. The Kevin Harvick fire issues, NASCAR responded to that immediately. So NASCAR will respond. And I know the next gen has a lot of other issues, such as the short track package, such as the safety issues. There's a lot, that's what I'm saying. This car has a lot of potential. But, it also has a lot of issues that need to be resolved. And I do want to give NASCAR credit. I know we all like to crap on NASCAR. I do it a lot. Everyone does it a lot. But we don't crap on NASCAR just to do it, just for the sake of doing it. We do it because we love the sport. 
if we didn't love the sport, we wouldn't care about these issues or these problems or whatever. And we do need to give NASCAR, in my opinion, as someone who does criticize NASCAR a fairly decent amount of times, not as much as IndyCar, but I do criticize NASCAR a lot. You could go back to well over a year's worth of me doing this podcast as evidence, but I do need to give NASCAR credit. They have a resume of fixing issues with safety to where I have full confidence they are going to fix it. Look at the COT. Look at the Gen 6. How long did it take for NASCAR to finally have issues with safety? Look at sports like IndyCar and F1 where they have had safety issues spreading throughout the past two decades. Meanwhile, it's taken NASCAR from 2001 all the way till now to where safety has now become an issue. So we do have to take that into account. I'm not saying NASCAR is being completely left off the hook when it comes to designing a race car for safety and for parts issues because I do mention safety in the parts issues because it is a safety factor. Imagine we're racing at Talladega and then a car has a parts failure in the middle of the pack. Do you really want to know how that's going to end up? NASCAR knows the issues, but this isn't an issue. Some of them are issues that they can fix overnight, but some of them aren't. However, I do want to end this segment out on a positivity note. While I do believe that the playoffs are being compromised, because we shouldn't have a playoff format where drivers are getting eliminated because of parts failures and not because of the fact, I mean, let's be honest here, folks, Chase Briscoe is only, I believe, four points outside of being in the round of eight, when in all reality, he's only that close because other drivers have had issues, not because he's performing up to standard. His top five finish at Texas was his first top ten since a Coca-Cola 600. Meanwhile, he's in the round of 12, not because of his own doing, because other drivers have had issues. But, I want to send this episode out on a high note. NASCAR has a resume to where they do prioritize safety, to where they do get safety right more times than not. Yes, you have a couple injuries here and there. You're never going to escape that, but NASCAR has shown they will take priority. They're not just going to allow these teams of drivers to basically play Russia roulette. Let NASCAR do its thing. They are working on something. Maybe it happens overnight, maybe it doesn't. But from NASCAR's resume for the past 21 years, basically, I have full confidence that the sanctioning body of NASCAR will be able to get this right and fix the next-gen car and really make it the car that it was designed to be to where it could basically save the sport. Alright, so I was going to record this episode and upload it earlier today. Currently, I'm recording and it is 1.29 in the afternoon. However, IndyCar announced that they are going to release their 2023 IndyCar schedule. We knew some of the changes they were going to make. We knew some things were going to stay the same. So I wanted to wait on it just to really see what the full 2023 IndyCar schedule was going to be. And now they have released it. So let's take a look at the 2023 IndyCar Series schedule. What is different? What has stayed the same? Any changes? We're going to cover all of that right now by, we're basically going to do the same thing that we did with the Formula One schedule. We're just going to take a look at it, review it, and see any things I like, any things I don't like, and we'll go on from there. So, the IndyCar Series schedule for 2023, it has everything, in a sense. 17 races from the first of month, from the beginning of March, all the way till the middle portion of September. Now, I see a lot of the same issues that I have with the IndyCar Series schedule. And that is, we're going to go from the beginning all the way to the end. 
So, first we race on the streets of St. Petersburg. There's nothing different there. Here's my first issue with the schedule. And I've been talking about this at nauseum for years on years. But, why are we waiting nearly a whole month from the 5th of March to the 2nd of April in between the races? IndyCar ended their season about two weeks ago. September, October, November, December, January, February, March. You are asking the fan base to wait six months for the new season to begin. And then, after that first race, you're going to ask your fan base to wait another month for race two. This is what I'm talking about. IndyCar does not have momentum. I get it. 17 races, basically 17 weeks, isn't that much. That's enough to cover about three months, three and a half months worth of racing. However, when you are open, I feel like the most important part of any season is the beginning. Because the beginning of the season is going to set the tempo throughout the entirety of the season. Look at the 2021 season for Formula 1. It started off with a banger between Max Verstappen and Lewis Hamilton. And people remember that season fondly. You know, besides that, it you know, besides that um prop, you know, besides the race at Abu Dhabi, people remember that season fondly. So let's say the streets of St. Petersburg puts on a great race to start up the year. What momentum are you gonna have when you have to wait a nearly a month for the second race of the year? I'm gonna tell you what momentum you're gonna have. None. So again, IndyCar, if you were gonna put any gap, put a two at most. Put a two-week gap. That's the most. So the fact that it's to wait nearly a month for race one to race two is still the same problem. And that's what I'm talking about. This is one reason IndyCar has zero momentum. But anyways, at least they fixed that from race two to race three where you only have to wait two weeks to go from Texas to the street to Long Beach. Then you only have to wait another two weeks from race three to race four for Barber Motorsports Park. This is what I don't understand, though. They should seriously have it they have three races in the month of April. Why not have two races in the month of March and then two races in the month of April? If you have to wait two or three weeks, okay, so be it. But at least have some momentum from race one all the way to race two. Because I guarantee you, people probably aren't going to remember, unless you're a diehard IndyCar fan, when Texas shows up, I guarantee you the feeling around the industry is going to be, oh yeah, we're racing again, I completely forgot. Nah, man, I'm excited to get to the second race of the season. And that's not a good thing. Then we move on to the Indianapolis Motor Speedway road course. The first time we head to the road course, which I, I know why we're racing there twice because Roger Penske owns IndyCar and Indianapolis Motor Speedway. It makes sense from a business perspective. However, there's no reason we should be running at one track twice, especially for a schedule as small as IndyCars. Then we have the 107th running of the Indianapolis 500. Nothing different there. Then we go to the streets of Detroit for race number seven. And I do like this approach. I like the approach of going straight from the Indy 500 straight to a set, another race of the season. Why do I like this approach? Because it allows for the momentum. You got the biggest race of the world, so people are hyped, they're excited, they just witness hopefully a good race. So you might be thinking, oh, you want to see even more action from IndyCar after the biggest race in the world? You only got to wait one more week to the new track to the streets of Detroit. Which I believe they're returning to the streets of Detroit since I believe the 90s. So this is a brand new track for IndyCar. 
I do like that they are adding some more diversity to the schedule. This is, I believe, the third or fourth year in a row they have added a new and or returning track to the schedule. So that is a good sight to see. So, Streets of Detroit, I'm excited for that. The, the layout looks interesting. We'll have to wait and see how it performs, obviously, once we get to the 4th of June. Then we got to wait just two more weeks ahead to Road America, and then we head to the Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course for race number nine. And the rest of the schedule is pretty much the same. Streets of Toronto, doubleheader at Iowa, then we go to Nashville, then we have race two at the IMS Road Course, then we go to Gateway for the last oval of the season, then we finish it off at Portland and Laguna Seca. The one thing I do like about IndyCar is that they have all but four races on the big NBC. Three races on USA and one race on Peacock. Now, they didn't release the TV, the viewership numbers for Peacock for this year, which makes it seem like that the viewership was very, very bad. So we'll see how it performs in the second in the second outing for next year. But if the viewership at Peacock, but the viewership doesn't do well for the streets of Toronto for Peacock, there's a good chance we might not see another race on Peacock at least for a while if it still continues that poor viewership but overall the schedule is basically the same besides the streets of detroit you're still racing in bella you're not racing in bella you're racing in detroit but you're still racing arguably the same area the same avenue all that stuff the schedule is basically the same there's not that much difference from this year compared to next year i do like the fact that indycar's majority of the race is on the big nbc but I don't like the big gaps, especially that big gap from race one to race two. It kills the momentum at the beginning of the season. And let's see if any car can make it up by putting on some good racing and actually promoting their sport for once. But I've talked about that ad nauseum. That's my reaction to the 2023 IndyCar schedule. Again, not a lot to go over. It's basically the same thing. So we'll have to wait and see how it does next year in 2023. Alright everybody, you know what time it is. It is time for our Race Weekend Ranking, sponsored by Johnny B's Barbershop. If you live in the South Florida area in desperate need of a haircut, head over to Johnny B's Barbershop on Davy Road Extension and Sterling Road. Rob, Johnny, Will, and the rest of the crew will not only give you the best haircut you've ever received, but a friendly atmosphere you do not receive at any other barbershops or big barbershop chains. So head over to Johnny B's Barbershop once again on Davy Road Extension and Sterling Road and tell them that the Motorsport Minister, myself, has sent you. So, we don't got a lot of races to rank again this week. Really just two to go over, and that is the Xfinity Series race and the Cup Series race at Texas. I think you know what one's going to be number two, and which one is going to be number one. So with all that being said, let's begin. Coming in at number two, and like I said, I think it's a fairly easy one. That's going to go to the Cup Series race at Texas. Best moment for me? I really can't say that there was a best moment, honestly. Because this race was just a train wreck. Worst moment? Where do I begin? I'm just going to go with the car park failures as my worst moment of the race. And the sad part is, it wasn't just one moment. It was an instant of moments. A collage of moments. Again, Kyle Busch, Truex, Chase. I mean, Tyler Reddick had to basically nurse it home in hopes that he wouldn't have a flat tire and destroy his race car. When you have to hope and pray that the leader doesn't blow a tire, that is a bad sign. And my WTF moment of the race? I'm going to give it to William Byron spinning out Denny Hamlin under caution. But more so, that William Byron didn't get a penalty. NASCAR said that they didn't see the incident, 
and I'll talk more about that later in the week when it comes to NASCAR race control, but the fact that we didn't see it is pretty shocking even just to hear it from my own ears. So this race, it's Texas. There was no passing, no tire wear. The only quote-unquote tire wear was the tire failures. Bad track, bad tires, car failures not stopped. It was a perfect storm for just arguably one of the worst races in modern NASCAR history. So this race, I don't know if I've ever given a race this low of a rating, but I'm going to give it a 1 out of 10. There really wasn't anything to write home. There was no, nothing coming out of this race that anyone should have been happy about. Which leaves only one race left to go over, and that is obviously going to take the number one spot, and that is the Xfinity Series race at Texas. Best moment for me, I'm going to give it to Noah Gregson tying Sam Ard for the most wins in a row in the Xfinity Series. Gregson winning four in a row, the first time since 1982 that any driver has won four Xfinity races in a row. Not counting guys like Kyle Busch winning five, winning five out of his five that he's entered, but actually winning four consecutive Xfinity races back to back to back to back, all in concession. That is what Noah Gregson did, and that's going to land the moment for the best moment of the race for me. Worst moment of the race for me? I'm going to give it to the big one that involved multiple playoff drivers in the Xfinity Series. Guys like Allgaier and Brandon Jones getting into crashes, having issues, big one. You don't like to see a lot of cars get torn up. It wasn't a great moment for the Xfinity Series to see all those good cars get torn up, so that's going to land at its worst moment of the race for me. And for my WTF moment, I'm going to have a little bit of fun with my WTF moment for the Xfinity Series race, and that is, Noah Gregson didn't puke. Noah Gregson finally took him, what, like 11 tries to not puke after an Xfinity win, or really a win in general. So, I'm going to have a little fun with my WTF moment for the Xfinity race. That's going to land it as the WTF moment of the race. But overall, the racing was Texas. It was okay, nothing special. It was solid, decent for a Texas race. So I'm going to give it a 5 out of 10. Nothing to write home about, but nothing atrocious like the Cup Series race was. Not a great weekend for racing. Then again, when your only form of racing is Texas, do you really expect anything good to happen? I sure don't. So that's our race weekend ranking sponsored by Johnny B's Barbershop. Alright, now it is time for our verse of the week. So here it goes. From the Book of Texas, I think out of all the books in the Motorsport Manual, I think this is the one book that no one wants to read. But anyways, chapter 8, verse 9. Our verse of the week is, there is not always a good in Goodyear. If you guys don't know what that means, pretty much it's a jab at the Goodyear tire failures that have been plaguing the sport for the past two weeks. So, once again, Book of, Check, book of Texas Chapter 8, verse 9, our verse of the week is, there is not always a good in Goodyear. That's going to do it for this edition. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. Again, episode number 87, only a couple weeks away from hitting that episode 100 mark. If you guys want to listen to all previous 86 episodes of the Motorsport Ministry, you can search us up on Spotify, Google Podcasts, Anchor, and Amazon Music. You can find our entire back, back catalog on all those major platforms. Once again, thank you guys so much for tuning in, and we will see you next time.